are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today on the Steve Day Show podcast edition for Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here standing by as well. It is a Theology Thursday. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to get to a topic I really, really have done my best to duck and dodge, but I can't. So we are going to talk about it. That's coming up here in a matter of moments. But uh, gentlemen, let's give the audience a little preview of what we just completed for CRTV today. So they maybe could catch it for themselves. Todd, what stood out to you? Well, uh, you and I uh, disagreed about what we think the polling now in April uh, says or doesn't say about November, but that disagreement notwithstanding, I think we do agree based on something we saw in uh, fake news or not involving the president Larry Kudlow, that either way, we both win because this thing is going to be as lit as the Gadsden Mall. It's not even May 1, and a former stripper turned gangster rapper has been the darling of both the right and left media. She's transpolitical? Nice. Yes. We, we, the president is being hounded by a porn star he had sex with, allegedly unprotected, uh, and had his fixer bribe to keep quiet. Dude, 2018 is so lit right now. Can you imagine where we're going to be in July? Think about that. Like, if I would have told you, and we came back after Christmas break in January, if I would have told you this is what would go down... By the time we got to Memorial Day weekend, you would have thought what? Exorcisms for everyone? Yes. This is lit. Lit. The writers of this show never run out of ideas. It's insane. Steve, I will give you half my paycheck, my next paycheck, if in one of these internal show rundowns that you send out to... Uh, people here on the show and to CRTV, if like in Block B, you just put primal screaming therapy. <laughs> I'm serious. I will return half of my paycheck to you. Aaron, what stood out to you? Well, we talked about the end times and uh, some of the signs of the times. And it did. I had uh, uh, an epiphany because this that's basically what... You know, eschatology is nowadays. It's just pe- people having epiphanies, and um, I, you know, the the end of the the seventy sevens in in Daniel. I think I know what that is now, and I think it's ending with Donald Trump tweeting out a picture of the sketch of the guy who harassed Stormy Daniels allegedly. That's that's the signs of the times. So we are near the end indeed, and. Um, that's that's my takeaway from the show. Well, if you want to watch today's television show for CRTV, CRTV.com, promo code DACE is how you can watch if you're not yet a subscriber. That's D-E-A-C-E, promo code DACE. 
And that'll give you access to not just our show, but every program that uh, we do here at CRTV from the great one, Mark Levin, uh, Phil Robertson, Stephen Crowder, right on down to other programming known as us. Promo code DACE, CRTV.com. And while you're listening today on your iPhone, your iPad, or uh, your Android, whatever your mobile device is, and if you're listening via Stitcher, iTunes, Podbay, if you could just click if you haven't done that yet, and I know a lot of you have, so thank you, but if you haven't yet clicked that little subscribe button, the more of you that do that, the more of you end up doing that. I mean, that helps us to get the word out. So we really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, many of you have also left us positive reviews. If you haven't yet and have a few minutes today to do that, we would appreciate that too. And if you don't like us, don't lie. But if you do, we we would be honored if you take a few minutes just to share that uh, with your fellow uh, passengers there in uh, in podcast world because people do, they don't read a lot of the reviews, but when they see that there's a lot there, then they're like, all right, I mean, this is something to try because there's just so many options out there for podcasts nowadays. So thank you very much. So Theology Thursday. I, I have known or suspected maybe might be a better word that I needed to tackle this topic for a while. I have done everything I can as a son of Adam to passive aggressively not to. I have come up with excuses. I have per- willfully ignored it. I believe Aaron has tried to bring this matter to my attention at least 16 times in the last two weeks. Yeah. Ever so subtly. Um, but you keep bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Do it. Do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this needs to be on our radar. Yeah, I think you've said that to me numerous times. Yeah. Hey, here's another article about it. Oh, yeah. That's great. Anyway, uh, that's, that's great. Um, here... I'm just going to keep it real. The reason why I have avoided this topic, it's it's not, this isn't like the marijuana issue for me, where I, I just, man, if if you can get fired up about that one way or the other, dude, props to you. I just, I, I, I long for the day we work down our societal ills list to the point that we're like, all right, let's kill each other over icky sticky. Let's kill each other over the chronic. I can do that. I'm in. All right. But somehow I just sort of think killing a million kids a day and $4 trillion in debt and I don't know what bathroom to use or what's a girl. I, don't, I, I, I just kind of think maybe spleens need to be removed for that rather than, you know, um, uh, whether we all want to, you know, whether there's a group of people that Seth Rogen's their spirit animal. Some of you have a, have a, have a wider deeper hard drive than me and so you can take on additional files and programming god bless you mine's about tapped okay my mine's about tapped out and i just looked there's not another system update so i'm i'm stuck with what i have and so i there those are some of those issues that i know are very important to some of you yay or nay i i just i can't get there with you this issue is not like that This is a substantively important issue that is of primary importance, I would say. And so I, I don't have a good reason why I haven't been eager to tackle it. I'm going to give you the honest one. I'm running out of resolve for 
for just making everybody on every side of the argument hate me. That's the truth. I'm just, and I'm kind of pot committed on the issues I've already done it on, you know? And I'm fighting a seven front war right now, folks. And I just, I know, I know I'm supposed to have the stomach for, to fight an eighth. And I don't. I don't. I, I just, it's the great prophet Allen Iverson once said, I'm tired. <laughs> it's where I'm at. I, I just, this one, this one is making a lot of people I like and respect on both sides clowns. Real, real clowns. And it's worse than Trump and what he's done to the church because he's a politician, man. They come and they go, Hobbs. They come and they go. We had the same arguments about McCain. We had worse arguments about Romney because then you had the Mormon factor there too and, you know, all of that subplot. And now there's now and now the arguments are dialed up to past Todd's eleven spinal tap. We're at seventeen with Trump. I get emails weekly from people whose churches are splitting over this. And and that's that's not it's because mainly Trump's persona is so dominant now, there's nowhere in the culture to go to get away from the issue, right? But but one day, either the voters or or the twenty sixth Amendment or Robert Mueller or Speaker Pelosi's Congress whichever the rationale is or Jesus' return, one day he will leave the stage. This one is an issue that I fear is going to split us wide open permanently. And I've lost so many friends, so many people, so much respect for people I used to hold in high regard that I am, I don't know I have the stomach to take another hill. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's where I'm at. So I was kind of hoping, you know, I've seen Ali Stuckey and some other people on our team kind of take this one on. I was like, get him. You, you go, girl. You got this. All right. Enough people hate me right now. <laughs> go for it. Someone else went, I'll take that hill. It's all yours. But I am inundated with people asking me about this. Not just Aaron. I'm getting emails about it regularly. People sending me notes on Facebook about it regularly. Tweeting me about it regularly. And I don't know what it was. Um, I was having my omelet this morning. And I saw this email from one of our listeners. And it just kind of broke through uh, the wall I had put up about this where I was coming up with every excuse legit or otherwise to just say I, I'm just going to let other people fight this one I just I can't man I just can't you didn't like go all Catholic and like see a vision of Jesus in the omelet or something like I did in, not okay, no I didn't, I, didn't sure. no, I, I did not it was just this email I'm about to share with you and it's 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 well written but it, you know this isn't a sonnet I'm not about to read uh, something off a stone tablet. It's just a list, reader from or a listener from a reader who's well, you know, well informed. But for whatever reason, after I got done reading it, 
I just sort of felt the dam break and the tension I had built up, the defiance I had built up that I just, I am not going down this road because I, I, I don't think this is going to end well. And I, and I, and you know, my pride's like, you know, you've done more than your share of tours of duties for, uh, you know, let's piss both sides off in the end. I think I've done, you've got, you've let some other people live that way for a while. You've done your, your tour. And so that's what I've been self-righteously telling myself about this for the last week or two. And then for whatever reason, the email I'm about to share with you, and when I share it with you, you're like, I have no idea. I mean, I appreciate that guy's perspective. I had no idea, though, why this was the moment where you're like, okay, I've got to, I've, I've got to set myself aside here and address this. But, and maybe it's just because Aaron and, other, and so many of you have pestered me enough that I was about at my breaking point and this last letter just pushed me over the line. It could just be simply that. It was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. I keep back. trying to get out, but you keep pulling me back in. Yes. Because I'm just going to tell you, I'm doing this in protest. I don't want to go here. I don't. I'd rather argue about eschatology than do this. Oh, dear oh, Lord. Wow. Oh, he did snap. Because I, because it's a hard argument to make without falling into the culture's numerous red herrings, stereotypes, and traps. For example, let me share this with you before I even get to this email. I, I, I tweeted out. And one of the reasons I tweeted it now was just to get myself in the mindset for this conversation. I tweeted out as the intro was firing, as Aaron fired the intro to the podcast, I tweeted out, if evangelicalism is going to make me choose between idolatry of Trump and the idolatry and the race-baiting idolatry of fake justice, then it's time to get thee to a nunnery. First reply, fake justice equals empathy. No, it doesn't. There's no empathy in this world without the gospel. There's only enmity. The gospel is what removes enmity between us and God so that we then have the mercy and grace in our lives to remove enmity between one another, which makes way for empathy. There is no empathy without the gospel. There's some sentiment. You can be, you, you can be kind and rewind. But the state of this planet after the fall of Adam and Eve was so bad, God wiped out civilization with a flood. Why? Enmity. Enmity between us and God and one another. What do we have in our culture today? Enmity everywhere. Everyone divided by an ideology largely driven by identity. You hate women. You hate gays. You hate Christians. Some people do hate the people I just mentioned. But not every time someone disagrees with some member of that group means that he hate me. Now, when I'm trying to use my throne in government to bankrupt a family like the Kleins, I don't like them. But if I don't share your definition of religious freedom... 
It may not be that I hate you. It may simply be I grew up in a pagan family. I went to a pagan school. They never taught me the original intent of the Constitution. I was taught it was a living, breathing document, and it was forged in a secular uh, utopia, and anything that fails the lemon test is not constitutional, and so you're trying to use government to theocratically advance your means. You see what I'm trying to say? Sure. They might be vehemently wrong. But no man can rise above their own worldview because they hold that view doesn't automatically mean they hate you, meaning there's enmity there. It means they're fulfilling their worldview. Every time someone disagrees, they hate us. Or they hate, every time I disagree with you, I hate you. We've been having a lot of conversations about social justice and racial reconciliation and racial justice in this country my whole life. I'm going to be 45 in July. Hasn't seemed to put much of a dent in it. We elected a black guy president. Now we're told race relations are even worse. We can't do this on our own. And we won't do it on our own. And we never have. It's not a coincidence that of all the civil rights reformers, before and since the one that's the most recognized and considered the most successful is the one that launched his crusade directly from the church good evening steve my name is rob Coe. i am 43 i'm a 43 year old christian husband father of two sons Since the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart seven years ago, I have had two men that have been enormously helpful in shaping my lens biblically. I praise Jesus for these two men, my pastor, Matt Chandler, and my brother in Christ, you. Your passion and integrity in allowing the Bible to shape your worldview and coupled with your obvious gift of articulation and persuasion has been instrumental in equipping me to disciple my two boys and walk well with men and women in numerous settings. Pregnancy centers, Planned Parenthood sidewalks among them. This also includes a greater soberness and prayerful consideration of my political views. I say all that because I rejoice you've been used as such an instrument for grace in my life, helping me to gain wisdom and clarity so often. And also to lay this request before you. Help me. While I know you are busy, I ask that you might help me in some form or fashion better have clarity surrounding pushback, this false story of postmodernism and liberalism that is seeping into churches cloaked as racial reconciliation, particularly since the MLK 50 conference a few weeks ago. Right now, I am struggling with white brothers and sisters in Christ doing one of two things. Grabbing a hold of worldviews that I believe are hostile to the gospel and believing is the answer to racial reconciliation, or digging their heels in the sand and taking every perceived slight of white evangelicals as a personal attack. Good Lord, if that's just not exactly right. Amen. I think you'd agree that neither is loving our black neighbors well or if at all. Navigating this space has been extremely difficult. And while I rejoice that God is sovereign in this and all things, I recognize that the Lord has been equipping and stirring my heart to speak the truth and love in this very setting. My experience as a fireman, crisis pregnancy counselor, and by his grace to fear God over men has given me a perspective that many in my church may be lack. I believe this requires me to step into this mess, hoping that you might you might have a chance to meet me and others that feel an angst here with some sort of word of encouragement. 
Blessings Rob Co. So, I am aware of this MLK conference. I'm not going to comment on it because I have not watched anything that went on there in context. I've only seen affirmative and negative things shared about it virally in social media. So I'm not going to address it. Several people spoke at that conference. I have a high regard for whose teaching has encouraged and equipped me and my wife in the past. And then there were a few people there that I'm, uh, makes my spidey sense tingle. Okay. And I'm not even going to get go down the road, though, of telling you who is who, because the minute I start dropping names, it's all going to be about whether you agree with my characterization of that person or not. I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about my own experience with this issue. The book I'm writing now begins with a dedication. And the dedication is to my brother from another mother who died a couple of months ago. I think I talked about him at the time. Uh, His name was Jonathan Narciss. And I think I told you when he passed away how we got to know one another. They called me up one day out of the blue. I had this statewide radio show with a really large audience in Iowa. Um, And... He just put it on me. He's like, do you understand the amount of influence you, you can wield with this kind of a weapon? And from that conversation, we grew to be great friends. What I haven't shared with you, though, at least I don't think I have. I think I told you that the first time I ever tried to use my platform specifically to impact a political outcome was his school board race. I think I did talk about that at yes. the time. But what I didn't tell you is what him and I did together before that. See, the first time Jonathan and I attempted to work together, and, and this is why we, and this is the step we felt we had to take before talking about getting somebody like him elected to a prominent place in the local political community. We spent a, 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 well over a year working on racial reconciliation within the church here in Des Moines together. We were very concerned that the most segregated place you're going to find in America on most Sunday mornings are our churches. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free or male or female, not in the pagan way, but in the transcendent way. There's one Lord, one gospel, one baptism. Over all, in all in all, through all in all. Forever and ever, amen. The gospel is really the most effective multicultural program that's ever been introduced on this planet. Because God is no respecter of persons. And all of us, all of us can boldly approach the throne of grace and all of us will stand before our creator and be judged period but the way we approach this was not with white liberal guilt and i will tell you i originally was going down that road 
You know who stopped me from doing it? He did, the black guy. Said, oh no. <laughs> First of all, that's bad theology. Secondly, he told me, uh, we black folks, we've heard every white liberal guilt argument you could possibly imagine already. They're called Democrats. That's not the way to go. If we're going to do church, then do church. Yeah. Um, folks need to be more generous with what God has blessed them with. And uh, folks need to practice better behavior and uh, take their studies seriously and be good stewards with the talents and gifts that God gave them regardless of their social conditioning at the exact same time. Even as a kid that grew up wanting to be Alex P. Keaton, and I was in college Republicans, and I was involved in Republican Party and conservative causes long before I became a Christian, I, I struggled to give myself permission. When we first launched this, I, I struggled to give myself permission to treat my brothers and sisters of a different color like they were my brothers and sisters. And not like I didn't owe them something. Or, you know, like I like they needed to be tended to as if they were children. Because I had all these stigmas coming into this relationship from the world and from my political interaction. Many of my ancestors weren't even here in the 18th and 19th centuries. Many of mine came from Italy, Sicily, the turn of the 20th century. They were called Dagos, Wops. They were the first people to live in the ghettos. So this idea that if you're white, you're automatically guilty. You must automatically repent of something you have no direct involvement in. But because of your race, you're implicated. I'm going to say this as gently as I can. Because I'm sympathetic with what I think these people are trying to do, okay? And I've done some of what they're trying to do on a local level already. But... but what they're advocating is a form of racism. I, I hate saying that. But I, I don't know what other definition we have of racism other than stigmatizing people, regardless of their individual worth or guilt, strictly because they belong to a particular race. That's, that's, what, that's what racism is. I've been involved in efforts to have churches that, and some of these things have still still bear fruit. Years later, I found out that some of these multiracial pastors that and congregations that I haven't even had contact with. And I mean, when Jonathan and I did this, it was, I mean, I was a baby Christian. This was my real first foray into public proclamations of my faith. So, you know, this was even before I was on WHO. We were doing this when I was still doing sports talk radio at the time. 2004, 5 is when we did all this. 
And I, I see now that some of those men's ministries that we first got together still work together, still worship together. Um, my wife recently went down to a, a school here we have in town called Joshua Academy. It's the first inner city Christian school ever established here in town. And she went down there because our kids are moving on into junior high and stuff now. And so a lot of the materials and stuff we educated with them with in elementary school aren't needed. And she went to drop them off. And one of the people who started that school told me recently that I was the inspiration they had for why they started it. Because when Jonathan and I were doing this years ago, you know, I challenged him. I don't even remember this conversation. But I, I challenged him as a conservative activist, a conservative Christian activist. You know, if you want a diverse group of people within the body of Christ to stand up with you and be united in causes that Christ says we're supposed to unite around, like life and family. Maybe if if we did life with these people other than just coming to them when we needed their help politically, we might have more, we might get, you know, more feedback because there's another group that does this with them already who only shows up when they need something from them politically. They're called Democrats. And they're always going to offer them more free money than we are. We can't, we're not going to out-Democrat Democrats. So if we want our brothers and sisters that don't look like us to stand united with us, then maybe we should treat them like brothers and sisters other than when there's a contentious issue at the legislature. Now, I don't remember that conversation. It certainly sounds like something I would say. <laughs> I don't remember it. But he told me out of that, he sparked up a friendship with one of the best pastors in our community who also ran the Iowa-Nebraska chapter of the NAACP. And, I mean, him and I are, I got, I got to know him, him and I are friends to this day. I've spoken in his church. I don't know how many Republicans he's ever voted for in his life. When my buddy Bob Vanderplass ran for governor last time, I do know he endorsed him and that was the first Republican he'd ever endorsed in his life. He had helped numerous Democrats get elected for decades in our state. And when he wasn't willing to sell out the gospel on the issue of marriage, they removed him as the chairman of the Iowa, Nebraska, and NAACP. My guess would be his economic views are probably a lot different than mine. And you know what? I don't, I'm guessing because we've never talked about it. Why? Because we had so many primary issues of moral importance that we agreed on. There was, we, there was just, we were united. There was no reason to. And therefore, I didn't feel like I had to have him agree with me on everything or the other, or vice versa for us to work together on the things we already agree on. What's happening, I believe? I, I, I do think there is a... And, and I'm not implicating any of the people specifically involved in this conference when I say this, because I don't know all the background, okay? And I want to make that very clear. So please don't run out of here and say, Steve Dace thinks so-and-so got bought off by George Soros. I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't, I don't know the particulars. Like I said, I, I'm not getting into the middle of this particular conference. I'll let other people do that that know more or less than me. 
But I, I can tell you there has been an active effort by progressive Mar- neo-Marxist elements, Soros and others. There have been active efforts to buy their way into American evangelicalism. And I have personal experience with one. It was called the Evangelical Immigration Study Table. I don't know, Aaron, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. A few years ago. Yep. And this was actually going on when Eric Metaxas and I were, were competing, I guess you could call it. Um, like, you know, we never even saw each other. We were on for different weeks. But him and I were both candidates to take over Afternoon Drive in New York City for Salem. And right around this time, as I recall, he resigned from this study table once he found out who was funding it. Do you remember that story, Todd? No, but... There were several high-profile evangelicals that know um, Sammy Rodriguez, who's the head of the National Hispanic Evangelical yep. Caucus. They were... And... and, and um, wanted, wanted, want to do what's best, what, what they possibly can for, you know, Hispanic believers that are trying to escape squalor and come to America while at the same time figure out how do we do that while upholding the rule of law. And there were all these conversations were going on in this group trying to wade into this and essentially come to some form of unity called the, his, you know, the, the evangelical, the immigrant, the evangelical immigration study table. I'm not sure I have the wording right. But then it was found out this thing's a total scam and it was funded by leftists trying to infiltrate the church. And why you don't hear about it anymore is several high-profile evangelicals like Metaxas found out about it and resigned from it and the thing collapsed. So this is not new. It It is not new for the serpent to show up and say, did God really say? What is relatively new is to see him doing it while flashing dollars, although that's really not new either. I mean, this is how Margaret Singer got into the black community. She bribed black pastors. I mean, you don't want a bunch of poor kids, right? You don't want your, you know, you don't want to, you want to be overbred. You don't want high, you, you don't want to have all these single moms with five or six kids. Let us preach our message. And that's why, you know, in, in almost every major American urban sector, you'll find the Planned Parenthood baby killing clinic within a stone's throw of MLK Boulevard. That's why. It was that way here in our town, actually, until the one that was over by MLK Boulevard eventually went out of business for a lack of uh, resources. And I remember before that happened, we went to the hospital to see one of our family members and I was driving away with my two daughters who were much younger at the time. Because ironically, the Planned Parenthood uh, baby killing clinic is right across the street from Mercy Hospital. Correct. That's where it used to be, where they closed it. And MLK Boulevard was literally just a stone's throw of their very next block over. That's true in Des Moines, let alone LA, Boston, name a major urban port. That's not a coincidence. My two daughters asked me, what's Planned Parenthood? So I told them the truth. I said, they kill children there. And my youngest is always like, why would they put it across the street from a hospital, Daddy? I don't understand. Aren't we, is, isn't this where people come to get healed? Out of the mouths of babes. Indeed. Indeed. Because that's our motto in our home. When they're old enough to ask the right questions, it's time. And they're old enough to receive the right answers. So I didn't hide it from them. I told them what they did. So I think there's two things happening here. One is there's an active infiltration happening within the church. Progressivism is on the march. It is it has conquered all of the secular sectors of the culture. It owns every influence sector there. Academia, media, pop culture, boards of regents, uh, 
boards of directors at arts centers, school boards. It owns them all. And when a, when a swarm of locusts is done consuming one crop, it's not satiated. They don't say, we're full now, we're good. You guys keep that one over there. No, they're going to move on, guys. And the horde now is coming into the sacred. After it's, now that it's taken all of the secular, it's now moving into the, sec, the sacred. After it got the Boy Scouts to essentially, which was one of the last lines of defense in secular culture, between one of the last buffers. You know, groups like the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, are kind of like cartilage in a knee. They, they're the buffer between two bones. Once they took all those organizations down, now there's nothing between us and them. And now they're coming for the church. And I have little doubt whether this conference was a part of that or not. Systemically, they are going to use issues like this to try and infiltrate us because they're doing it on other issues with the exact same tactics. That's one thing. The Soros, the infiltration aside, another thing I believe is happening here is a tale as old as time. You know, Luther said after he got done rebelling against what he thought was a church that sided more on the side of its own liturgy and ecclesiology than biblical theology. And wanted to decentralize power within the church after he risked his own life for this reformation 501 years ago then turned around and said now don't go start a church in my name after he died they put collars on his priests or on his on his ministers called them priests bishops were their overseers and then they started a church in his name okay so this is not new as a species, why does Paul command us do everything in moderation? Are, does Paul command us to go to the bathroom when we have to relieve ourselves? Are you, is, is there a Bible verse about that, Todd? Don't believe so. Aaron, are we commanded when we're thirsty to drink some water? Mm, I, I don't, I'm not aware of that. All right. Um, are we commanded when we're sexually attracted to the member of the opposite gender we're married to, to to sexually engage them? Are we commanded to do that? We, we, we're not commanded to do the things our instincts kind of want to do and know to do. Know what I'm saying? We're not commanded to do the things we know we have to do, that our instincts align with. We are commanded to do the things our basic instincts don't align with. Which is why we're commanded, you know, don't have sex with someone of the same gender that you couldn't possibly be married to. Because <laughs> that's, we have to be commanded by the things our instincts aren't privy and automatically set for. So the reason we are commanded to seek moderation when it comes to matters of conscience is because by instinct we will not. The history of our species which is true of the church age as well, is that we will swing the pendulum to extremes. And so what is happening here is I think you have two groups of people. You have one group of people that are your typical agents of Marxism, the Jim Wallaces, and I will name them flat out because I've done it in the past. Your Jim Wallaces, Tony Campolos, just go, you know, we, it's, the, it's the leftist all-star team. 
there's that. But then over here, you have some people who have shown they are lovers of orthodoxy. They're teachers of the word. Even if we don't agree on every tertiary position. They have been willing to stand up and suffer scorn for the gospel. And what's happening within this group that, that's succumbing to this, I believe, is that they are having a reaction to what they've seen from Jerry Falwell Jr., Robert Jeffress, at all. They're looking at the future. They're looking at your generation, Aaron, and they're seeing your generation is sickened by this. And they're scared to death we're going to lose this generation. And so they're looking for ways to differentiate themselves from the idolatry of Trump. And that way's already been presented. The way. We, we don't have to find a way to differentiate ourselves from the idolaters of the age. We just need to preach the way. The truth, the life. And it's good enough on its own. Transforming enough on its own. My life is a testimony to that. Sounds like, Rob, from your email, your life is too. And I don't know what it is, but we used to get regular emails from people whose spirituality is changing within our audience. They seem to be picking up at breakneck speed in recent weeks and months. And I, I hope we've played some small role in that and that God has used us to play a small role in that by showing we have a hero. We have a savior. When the system lets you down, there's an eternal kingdom set to take its place. This is the antidote to the state-run media, idolatry of Trump. I don't care if he rapes somebody. I'll even say then on national television, I'm, I'm not sure I'd pull my support then. The antidote to this is the antidote to what ails us as a species. And that's the gospel. What I, what I see happening are at the very least the early signs of replacing an idol with an idol. Reach. That the answer to the chocolate bunny is to is is white liberal guilt. On the authority of God's word, and I I've rarely said this in my career. I'm going to do it now. On the authority of God's word, I will stake this position. And James says that teachers get double the honor and double the accountability, right? So acknowledging that up front, I will say this on the authority of God's word. It is a metaphysical certitude. You don't owe repentance or atonement to anyone you have not directly wronged, period. 
period. And I'm pretty confident, given the state we all are born into, that's a long enough list on its own. We don't need to add to it. Now, if you have, if you have been guilty of racism in your life, then yes. Yes. You need to make amends. You need to come clean. You need to ask for forgiveness. But if you have not, you don't ask for forgiveness for something you haven't done. By the way, that's another form of self-righteousness. This idea that I, I beat myself more, I flog myself more, I put myself down more, um, than what God desires or commands. We are called to humble ourselves, not humiliate ourselves. Those are different things. You want empathy in this world? Remove the enmity. And the only thing I know of that removes enmity in this world is the gospel. First, between us and our creator which gives us the freedom and the power in our lives to then begin doing it with one another. That is, if, like me, you are disturbed and sickened by what you are seeing amongst self-confessed white evangelicals that we nicknamed, what'd you call them, Todd? Roll Tide? Sure. Roll Tide evangelicals, what we called them during the last election particularly the last primary. If you are sickened by that, I mean, I've got a long list of people who used to be my friends who no longer are because I, on more than one occasion, have expressed in the most extreme prejudicial terms how disgusted by it I am as well. But the antidote to this is not to replace an idol with an idol. The answer is to replace an idol with the gospel. I shouldn't need racial awareness to cause me to look around my congregation and wonder why are people of the exact same belief system never interacting? Never worshiping together? Because you know what? Racial awareness didn't cause me to consider that question. My own spiritual transformation did. My own spiritual transformation, which gave me a new life in Christ and a new identity, which gave me a second birth, caused me to see things differently. And before that second birth, I never even considered where people went to church or what the makeup or demographic of the church was, nor did I care. But now the gospel comes into my life and it changes what I see and it changes what I seek. And suddenly I notice things I didn't notice before. And suddenly I am saddened and burdened for things I wasn't saddened by and burdened for before. And suddenly now I am like, our culture is hurting, dying in enmity. Why aren't those of us who have had that enmity removed in our lives modeling empathy instead? Racial awareness didn't bring this into my into my vision. 
The eyes of Christ did. The eyes of Christ did. Spiritual awareness did. I once was blind, but now I see. They don't need Trump. Doesn't mean Trump can't be used for some good things, but they don't need Trump. Trump's not your savior. Right now, if you want a boom industry in America, pretend to be a black conservative. Just be black and say things Fox News likes. Dude, your social media account just blows up in overnight. Never heard of this woman in my life. Her name's Candace Owens. The other night she proclaimed Trump this, our savior. And I'm like, for God so loved the world that he gave it his only begotten Trump. That was my reply. I clicked on her account. She's got like five times the social media following I do or something. Why? Because there's a lot of white folks who have been worked over by white liberal guilt in the church that just want someone who's non-white to say things they agree with so they can then say to their friends on Facebook, see, I'm not a racist. Here's a black person who agrees with me. By the way, that's another form of racism. Just so you know. We are called as believers to transcend all of those things. I was just doing this the other day. We had this conversation in another context yesterday. We went through the opening montage and we had this Catholic nun in fake news or not. Remember we just had this conversation yes. you and I did off the air yesterday, Todd? Yes. And, and, this, and, and for the first time when, when we brought up an, someone identifying as a Catholic who was talking and hell's words came out, for the first time ever, I did not go to Todd and ask him for his response. Why? Because I realized I was pigeonholing you. You don't, you're not, you don't have to speak. First of all, I don't need your approval to speak out against heresy, no matter whose uniform it's coming from. I don't need that. And secondly, it's not your responsibility to defend the Catholic Church. It's your responsibility to defend the faith and the integrity of your own testimony, as is mine, as is Aaron's. I was doing this to you. I even apologized to you for it yesterday. I'm like, I, you know what? I'm not, this is why I didn't call on you. I realized I was doing this. That there's a reason to call, that I want your perspective. There's, a, there's wanting your perspective as a Catholic. And then they're saying, because you're Catholic, you suddenly are more qualified to have a perspective on something that transcends Catholicism. You know what I'm trying to say? Sure. Like, I wouldn't know how to explain the Eucharist to somebody as well as you would. I wouldn't know how to exp- I know I know what it is. But, I mean, I, I couldn't explain it with the earnestness that you could. That's different. That's you as a subject matter expert. You have a perspective I can't have. Okay? But that's different than um, I'm going to use your identity to my advantage. You're going to be my ghetto pass, basically. That's what I was doing. And we do this with each other racially all the time. This is something Jonathan broke me of. Steve, you don't need me as a black man to address fatherlessness in the black community. Your mom was 15 when she had you. You didn't have a dad. And then the stepdad she married wailed on you because it was Thursday. I think you can speak on the subject of fatherlessness, Steve, all on your own. You don't need a ghetto pass standing there telling you, uh, hey, he's got my permission to talk to you all about this. I actually had a good dad, Steve. He was a war hero. He pushed me, pushed me to, you know, get a double major in college. I had a great dad. 
What the hell am I going to stand up and say to a bunch of people in a black church about fatherlessness? I don't know what they are. I can't, I've not been where they're at. You, however, can I relate to them better than I can? Blew my mind when he said things to me like this. Because the concrete is so embedded that I needed to give myself, I needed to give myself permission to treat fellow believers like they were fellow believers. Regardless of what they looked like, I needed to give my, myself permission. My, my own conscience needed permission to do what the word of God told me to do. Don't fall for this. The other night we watched uh, The Last Jedi again for family movie night because it was Noah's turn. And right now, um, every, every fourth conversation Noah and I are having is Star Wars related pretty much. <laughs> right? And the scene when Kylo and Rey unite to break the Sith Jedi paradigm, right? They take down Snoke. Great scene. Great scene. They take down Snoke and his Praetorian guard, even calling them that, the, the symbolism of calling them that, right? And they've, 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 they've crashed this paradigm that's been tragically plummeting the galaxy, plunging it into war for centuries. The Sith the, and, the, and the Jedi, as Snoke says, the darkness rises and the light rises to meet it. And they just go back and forth. And in this moment, the next generation, Kylo and Rey, destroy, they crush this paradigm. They transcend it. And they combine together to take Snoke out. And Kylo's like, let the past die. Kill it if you have to. Yeah, completely agree. This whole Sith Jedi thing, all it did was just never-ending cycle. Back and forth we go. So Rey thinks they're going to do something new. Kylo says, join me, and together we can rule. And, and when Ray said this to him, she looks at him and she says, don't go this way. As I've been looking at this racial reconciliation movement, essentially attempting to recreate the white liberal guilt of the 70s and 80s, but just put some Bible verses in there. And that's their reaction to what they're seeing Trump and his incendiary language and the rise of Pepe the Frog. How much hate mail did I get from, you guys saw it all, how much hate did I get from those white nationalists for two years? All of it. A lot. And and they and and instead of slaying Snoke and doing something new, they're now pulling a Kylo Ren and they're saying, Well, let's 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 join up with another another idol and you know, try that arrangement, try that partnership instead. And right now I'm like Ray in this conversation to my brothers and sisters, man. I, I'm I'm looking at you and I'm saying, Don't go this way. Follow the way. Follow the way. The Lord is good enough. 
the word is sufficient on its own. If you don't like what's currently being baked into the cake, we don't need a new cake with just your own frosting, your own spin on it. Reject the cake. Reject all these paradigms. Just preach the word of God. And when topics involving enmity between peoples come up, preach it in season and out of season. We don't need any of these other worldly philosophies. We don't need the sages of this age. Our Lord has defeated them all. For this time in memoriam, forever and ever, world, kingdom without end, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. We don't need any of this extra fat. Trust me, as someone who has spent the last 10 years of his life trying to lose the morbid obesity he allowed to occur in his 30s, extra fat sucks. Stick with the solid food. It is good enough. The gospel on its own will call into account and will shame the Cheeto Jesus crowd. And on its own, it will call into account and it will shame the white-sheeted crowd. And it will call into account and it will shame those who are teaching their children there's no such thing as boys and girls. It is the most devastating weapon ever unleashed on this planet. It is a double-edged sword. It has wrecked entire cultures. It has toppled empires. It has conquered the grave. It doesn't need a sensitivity seminar, nor does it need the Republican Party. It's just fine on its own. Let the lion out of its cage. You don't need to tailor the lion's mane. You don't need to clip its nails. You don't need to, you know, dress it up. You don't even need to feed it. A lion is a predator. It instinctively will feed on its own. Simply let the lion out of its cage. You want to rebuke Trump cult? You want to rebuke racial stigmatisms and stereotypes? I know just the antidote, just the answer. Let the lion out of its cage. You're going C.S. Lewis. We're trying to tame him. He's not a tame lion. Exactly. Yes. Let him out. Final thoughts, Todd and Aaron, go ahead. I would, at one of these seminars, I, I would have two uh, queries. Is the salvation uh, we receive through Jesus Christ by infinitesimal measure, the most important thing we can receive in our life? Uh, I hope the answer across the board would be yes. 
That being said, question number two, V. So if that's the most important thing, is it somehow watered down? Is it weakened? Is it any less just because it is is received within the fellowship of all white friends in an all-white church or all black friends in an all-black church? Is it somehow better? Is your salvation more powerful because it happens amongst a mixed race? If if anybody says yes to that, they are a spiritual fraud, which is not to say fellowship with people of diverse backgrounds isn't enriching for us personally. But that is where the rubber meets the road on this thing. And I fear people would pause and not answer robustly. Well, of course not. That is troubling. But the real truth is, your salvation is the same regardless. And therefore, knowing that regarding these seminars, a healthy response would be, shut your hole and know your role. Stop reinventing the wheel, especially this one. That was the Catholic, folks. <coughs> Just want to state that for the record. That was the Catholic right there. Aaron. Now I am now I am going to play yeah. identity <laughs> Let's just delete the last 60 minutes. Go ahead, Aaron. Um, the thing about sin is that it is specific. It's specific when it when it's spelled out in the word of God and it is specific uncomfortably so in our lives. Your kid disobe- uh, disobeys you, you don't say son or daughter. You're a sinner, and you're disobedient. You say, you're standing on the table when I told you not to. Or you're doing this, you're playing video games when I told you not to. It's spelled out specifically. The, the, what, what I'm seeing through all of this, again, through the identity politics, is this sort of nebulous guilt that's foisted upon so many people the thing about the gospel is that Jesus Jesus is the sacrifice the perfect sacrifice for us because of our all of our accumulation of specific sins you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All of our foibles, all of our sin, pride, deceitfulness, lust, racism, Christ already solved that for us it is not incumbent upon us to try and solve these problems because we can't because we're flawed because we're sinners what i see is an attempt to do that apart from the pendulum the chaotic pendulum swinging the other way like you so eloquently pointed out i think that's what's happening as well But behind this is this notion, this prideful notion, that we have a shot in hell at fixing some of the deepest problems of what it means to be human. And and we don't. 
That's why we have to keep our focus, our preoccupation on Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Our preoccupation is not in the Republican Party. Our preoccupation is not in hashtag SJW. Our preoccupation is with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this quote that I've used before from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. What I just described to you is a narrow path. That's why we so often get it wrong. And we're going to screw up and we're going to keep screwing up and we're going to keep going so far in the other direction when we try to overcorrect for things that we see as problems. Bonhoeffer says in relation to the Christian walk generally, the way is unutterably hard and at every moment we are in danger of straying from it. If we regard this way as one we follow in obedience to an external command, if we are afraid of ourselves all the time, it is indeed an impossible way. But if we behold Jesus Christ going on before, step by step, we shall not go astray. Christ has to be our focus. It's that quote from, I think it's St. Patrick Todd. Um, you know, Christ before me, Christ in me, Christ on my left, Christ on my right. I'm butchering sure. that. That is, that has to be, he has to be our preoccupation because we will fall for anything and everything when that is not the case. Well, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Tomorrow, it's a Feedback Friday. The Dace Group Roundtable on CRTV as well, reviewing the week that was. Always look forward to that. Until then, John 317. Steve Dace. I like you.